0: Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you this morning. Greetings, earthlings and future citizens of Mars. If anyone's adventurous enough to one day go to Mars, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. I don't know why I'm saying this, but it's going to happen. So small groups, small groups are starting really soon, and my wife and I are leading a small group this semester. It's it's called uh, uh, Read the Bible for Life. So if you're somebody who says, I want to learn more about the Bible. I want to understand the Bible for myself. I want to uh, dig into it more. I've got some big questions. Join our small group. You can uh, go to groups and sign up there, or you can text in at the, the Connect card. You uh, can text in JOY to 94000. You can sign up that way as well. But we encourage everyone to be. We want everyone that attends Trinity Church, whether you believe or not, no matter where you're at spiritually, we'd love everyone to be in a small group. They're so important to get to know people, to grow, to be stretched, Uh, to serve and uh, to make a difference. So um, we're starting this new series today called The Lion and the Dragon. Four weeks. Today is gonna be angels. Next week we're gonna talk about demons. Then we're gonna talk about judgment and then we're gonna talk about paradise. We're doing this series uh, because the Bible teaches about these subjects and so we wanna teach all of God's word. Uh, In the book of Revelation at the very end of the Bible, actually uses, the, well, there's an apocryphal vision of Jesus in a couple of places, and it describes him as looking like a lion. Now, to be clear, Jesus is not a lion, just in case anyone's concerned or confused about that. But this is symbolism, and I think it's very fitting. In fact, it's a very apt symbol for Jesus. Uh, think about the magisterial nature of the king of the jungle, a lion. It's a very apt description for Jesus. If you ever read uh, C.S. Lewis's The Chronicles of Narnia, you see the character of Aslan, you know, Jesus being depicted as a lion. There's something about that that rings true in our spirit that says, yeah, that's a good, that's an apt metaphor to describe aspects of Jesus. Also, in the book of Revelation, at the end of the Bible, in a couple of places in Revelation, it describes Satan as being a dragon. Now, to be clear, Satan is not a dragon. But the imagery, the the apocryphal imagery that's used uh, depicts him, and I think... Again, this is an apt symbol for us to think about evil. If you've seen the the movies uh, How to Train Your Dragon, it's just like that. Um, So in that first movie, the big, gargantuan, bad, evil uh, dragon that's controlling all the other dragons, I think that very helpfully kind of depicts evil to us and the the centrality and the, the power that evil can have and influencing huge amounts of Uh, lives and in powerful ways. And so the Bible's not saying dragons are real or that Satan is a dragon, but it's using that imagery to communicate things about him. I'm not going to talk about Satan and demons today. I'm going to say that until next week. But we are going to be talking about spiritual matters over these four weeks. And I think for many of us, we're going to enjoy this. We're going to get a lot out of this. This is going to be helpful to us. This is going to enhance our faith and our belief in God. Uh, But for some, because we live in a very materialistic culture, we live in a culture that pits science against religion rather than seeing the synthesis between the two we live in a very skeptical culture there may be some that struggle with these subject matters and so if that's you let me start before we get into the nitty-gritty before we get into god's word and start looking at angels today let me give a quick defense to help give us some foundation to help give us a framework so that we know firstly we're not irrational or stupid for believing these things, but also to help pull through all those that might be super skeptical, to help pull them through so that you actually can engage in these, uh, in the subject matter. Now, if you believe in anything metaphysical at all, anything that's beyond the the, the realm of of what can be observed in, in the physical realm, if you believe in anything above that, even if you believe in a theory of everything, that there's some centralized order to things, some something that organizing principle to the universe, some kind of higher power, anything, the slightest inclination towards anything spiritual, that opens up a doorway, opens up even a small crack in, in reality that then any, any spiritual claim can be built upon that crack. So if, if you deny anything beyond the physical realm, then of course you're going to deny all other spiritual claims. But if, even if there's the smallest inclination in your heart to say, maybe there is a God, maybe there is a designer behind the design, then that small seed opens up the possibility for any any spiritual claim that might be made. That doesn't mean all spiritual claims are real. It just opens up the doorway to accept them or to engage uh, with them. Think about it like this. If God made a physical realm and populated it with corporeal creatures, us, it makes sense, at least we can't deny, that he could have made a spiritual realm and populated it with incorporeal creatures. If we accept the first one, It's irrational to deny the second one. Even in today's world, people have theories, two secular theories that actually help bolster up these points. One is, I've talked about this before, so forgive me to indulge myself again, but uh, the idea of the multiverse is uh, one idea. The other idea that's actually a secular belief uh, that helps us understand this is the idea of uh, the simulation theory, that actually life is like a video game, and when you go to sleep at night, the, the video console is off and the higher aliens that have designed this simulation, then uh, in the morning when they wake up, they turn on the console and we wake up and then they inhabit our bodies and control us like we're a, a video game of some type. Uh, lots of variations of the simulation theory and the multiverse theory. These, these ideas, these are not based on religious texts at all. They're based on rational thought. They're legitimately um, developed uh, you know, philosophical but also uh, rational ideas about the nature of reality. And smart people believe these things. Um, They open up for us, if if anyone believes that, what that does is that opens up for us the possibility that that there are, in fact, non-worldly creatures that exist in time and space. Even the hypothesis of the multiverse, there's different variations of that hypothesis, but even one of them actually says that there's an infinite amount of universes where every variety and variation of anything that could happen, does happen in this grand multiverse. Which means, based on secular reasoning and thought, there's a universe that exists where everything in the Bible is true. And I'm here today to tell you that that's the reality we live in. It's pretty great, right? We got a round of applause, I like that. So you don't need, actually you don't need, nowadays you don't need to appeal to religious texts to actually have a metaphysical view of of reality, to understand there's things I can't quite perceive, or things that um, are beyond my plane of perception. That I can engage in. Now you still might be sceptical, but hopefully that's a foundation that you can build upon. That you can at least go on the journey with us today and say maybe there is more to this than I've realised. I'm going to be preaching today from Hebrews chapter one. Hebrews is in the New Testament. It's all about it's comparing Jesus to angels and saying that Jesus is superior to angels. I preached on Hebrews one before, and uh, the main emphasis, main point of that, of course, is that Jesus is superior to angels. Back a couple of thousand years ago, Jewish culture was fascinated with angels. And so that's why the, the book starts off that way, where they're helping people not overemphasize angels. Today, we're going to be looking at what it specifically... I'm going to take a little bit of a different approach to it today. We're going to look at what it does say about angels, and then at the end, we're going to come back to the superiority and the supremacy of Jesus as we should. Let's pray, and then we're going to read uh, this passage together. Jesus, we need your help today. We, we pray that you would uh, help us to be filled with awe and wonder at your creation, to help us have a greater awareness of the spiritual reality that we're surrounded with. And we pray that you would um, grow our faith, that you would help us to see the work that you're doing around us, in us and through us. And Lord, if there's anyone here today that doesn't know you, doesn't believe in you, bring them into your family, bring them into your kingdom today. Let them find faith to believe today, I pray it in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. It says this. It says, "Long ago, in a galaxy far, far away." No, I'm sorry, wrong, wrong genre. Sorry, let me start again. Hebrews one, verse one. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. He is the radiance of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom you have loved righteousness and hated wickedness therefore god your god has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions and you lord laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning and the heavens are the work of your hands they will perish but you remain they will all wear out like a garment like a robe you will roll them up like a garment they will be changed but you are the same, and your years will have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? This is God's Word. Now let me zone right in here on verse 6. It says, and again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. It gives Jesus the title firstborn. When he says he brings him into the world, that's Jesus being born as a man. Jesus is paradoxically and mysteriously an uncreated son, an eternal son. But so it's strange that he's given the title firstborn because it doesn't seem fitting. How can you be a firstborn? But what we understand is we understand that uh, Jesus is given this title because it's signifying his preeminence. It's signifying the idea in a human family the firstborn, traditionally, the idea is that they have a greater inheritance. They have a greater blessing in one sense, a greater honor in one sense. And in the sense that the firstborn in a family has that preeminence, it's saying Jesus is like that firstborn in a family. That's why he's given the title of firstborn. But it also says that he is the object of angel worship. So some people will think that, oh, Jesus was created. No, no, no. It's saying that he is, it's in these passages, here it's quoting the Old Testament, it's saying that all. God's angels worship Him. In Scripture it's very clear, only God is to receive worship. So this verse is saying two things, it's saying He is paradoxically an uncreated son, He is the firstborn and He's preeminent in that sense, but He also receives all the worship which means He's divine, it means He's lived forever. Created beings are created to worship, we're created to worship, all created things are created to worship and give glory to God. Only the uncreated one, the maker of all things is to receive worship in that way. And it says here, all, God, all God's angels worship Him. It seems that there's a broad category, a broad understanding of angelic beings that we can see in Scripture. Many names, many phrases, many different descriptions are given to us of angels. Other than being called angels, it's very common for them to be called the host of heaven. If you've read the Bible for any length of time, you have probably come across this phrase, the host of heaven. When we think of a host, we tend to think of going into a restaurant and you meet the host, or somebody has you in their home and they're hosting you. doesn't mean any of those things. The host of heaven means they're an army. Host means army. These are military, to think of angels as military personnel, warriors, if you will, with mad fighting skills. Anytime I watch Lord of the Rings, I often think of the elves. You know, They're very heavenly-type creatures, but they're also like mad with the fighting skills. So there's, there's, a, there's a, an image there that could, could help us understand the angels of, of Scripture. They're also referred to as sons of God in certain places as well, differentiated from the Son of God, Jesus, and also the fact that we're sons and daughters of God, different in that sense, but they still can be called sons of God in the fact that they've been made by God. They're also referred to as holy ones, spirits, watchers is another term they're given, which is kind of creepy, that they're watching. Are they watching right now? I I would, we're going to get into this today, but I would, I would, we we, we can't know for sure unless God shows us, but I think it's, it's extremely reasonable to believe and to understand that there would be angels with us right now. We can't see them, of course, but that they would be joining us in our service today. They've got to be somewhere doing something. Maybe they're not here every week, but we've got to be confident that they would be and could be here with us. They're called watchers. also called strangers that we can entertain strangers unaware sometimes that they may appear in human form, that we can perceive them in that way but not be aware that they may be angels. There are other terms as well that the Bible uses very bizarrely. It calls them thrones, dominions, principalities, authorities, mighty ones, powers. All of these terms, all of these ideas, the Bible wants to get across to us that angels are extremely powerful beings. It says that we've been made lower than the angels. So in a matchup we would lose. They would lose sorely. They would be able to dominate us. They're extremely powerful beings, but we're also told that in heaven, we'll be placed above the angels to rule over and to judge the angels. Interesting reversal there. We're also told of cherubim. If you've ever seen Indiana Jones, Raiders of the Lost Ark, you've seen the Ark of the Covenant, this gold-plated box that the ancient Israel had to put the Ten Commandments, store the Ten Commandments and a few other things inside. And the lid, the mercy seat, the lid, the golden lid, had two cherubims on it that had wings that faced each other. So we're told that they have wings. We don't know a lot about them, but we're, we're told that much about them. We're told of the seraphim as well. In one place in the Bible, the seraphim, we don't know hardly anything about them, but the seraphim, the cherubim, the seraphim. We're also told that there are living creatures that surround God's throne, and they worship him. And these living creatures are a mashup of four different things. Bizarrely, I don't know what this looks like, I can't... We could draw it. We could try and imagine it. We don't know it until we, unless we see it, but they're a combination of a lion, an ox, a man, and an eagle. It's, we're told that these angelic beings, these living creatures that God has made that exist in the heavenly realm and that are on earth as well, that they stand before God in worship of God, that they fulfill God's will in heaven. This gives us an amazing, awe-inspiring view of all that God has made the splendor of his creation. We can be amazed at things on earth. We can be blown away by the beauty and the grandeur of the things that God has made on this earth, and then we start thinking about the heavenlies and these descriptions of things, and it's awe-inspiring. It's it's wonderful. That's the greatest reason, in fact. The Bible Bible wants us to know about angels. If it didn't, it it would hide all the information about them. The Bible wants us to know about angels because Knowledge and understanding of their role and their position and what they're for, what they do and who they are helps us treasure God all the more because all of God's creation exists to magnify and shine the greatness and the glory of God. We're told in Genesis in the first book of the Bible, we're told that when God made the heavens and the earth, so he said God made the heavens and the earth, and it was the earth that was without form and that was void. There's a clue in there, potentially a clue in there. The angels must have been made within the six-day period of creation, because everything was made in that period of time. Whether it was a day or a long period of time, we're not exactly sure. Either way is fine in my opinion. But in that first period, that first day, it says He made the heavens and the earth. It was the earth that was without form and that was void. So it gives us a clue that maybe God fully formed the heavens on that first day. Perhaps that's a clue to when the angels were made. We're told the names of two angels the angel Michael and the angel Gabriel. We're also told that there might be hierarchy and rank amongst the angels, that Michael himself is an archangel, seems to have a position of authority and leadership amongst the angels. Beyond these two names and beyond Michael's position, whatever we might conclude about angels is all speculative. It's all speculative. We can use our imagination. We can look for clues. We can look at the the physical world and we can look at... God's design and we can try and reverse engineer that or we can try and apply that to spiritual things. But really at some point it's all there's a lot of speculation that happens and people can get themselves in trouble with extra biblical ideas or pushing things beyond what they really say. We've got to be careful not to do that. Yet we still, I think it's reasonable to conclude that probably all angels have names. If they don't, then because we'll rule over and judge angels in heaven, I am submitting a bill right now that we should name all the, the angels once we get there. If they don't have names, I think they should have names. They probably do. We probably can't find them out unless we're told. We're only told two in Scripture. We probably shouldn't try and find out more names. But nonetheless, there's a lot. We, the complexity and even the, the hierarchical nature of human social environments, we, surely we could understand that there's probably something equivalent in the angelic race as well. We do know this though, the angels are intelligent, moral beings. They follow complex commands from God. They're they're sent out to do God's will and to follow complex instructions. They communicate, they, they know languages, they speak to people, they converse. They know right from wrong. In that sense, they're very similar to us. But we know this, they are not made in the image of God like we are. It's a curious mystery to think about that we've been made lower than the angels. But we've been made in God's image, and they haven't been made God's image. But they're more powerful than us, at least right now. It's a curious. Who who can understand the mind of God and the reasons that God would have and the way that God likes to make things? Who can figure it out? I can't figure it out. I'm sure none of us can figure it out. We can just go off of what we're told. Verse seven that we read in, in in Hebrews chapter one. It says of the angels. He says he makes his angels winds, and his ministers a flame of fire. Now, it's not saying they are wind or they are fire. It's saying they are like wind and like fire in this sense that wind and fire are things that you, um, you can't touch them. Wind, you, you, you can't see it. You can hear it and you can experience it. Fire, you can experience the heat and you can uh, even get burned by it. But you, it's, these aren't physical things that you can touch, but they're real. It's saying that angels, they're there. You can't always see them. And most of the time, people, we don't, nobody, not nobody, but it's rare to experience and to see them. In fact, in the Scripture, it seems to be that those who do see the angels, it's not that angels necessarily are taking physical form, and therefore anyone can see them, and they can even be caught on video camera. Don't know about that. That could be the case. It seems more likely that God gives individuals the ability to see angels in a particular moment. So only some people see them in some moments. That's what it appears that the Scripture is telling us. At the end of uh, Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12 verse 22, it says, But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in feastal gatherings. We're told that there is an innumerable amount of angels in heaven. Not that there's there's not an infinite amount, only God is infinite, but for a human being seeing a vision of all these angels in heaven, a human mind looks at it and says, there's no way you can count that. it be impossible. It's innumerable. It's so vast, so great. It doesn't matter the population of the earth and how many people might might populate the earth now and into the future. There's plenty of angels to go around. I'm sure God could make more if he needs more. I don't know, but it, he probably doesn't need to because there's an innumerous amount of angels that God has made. All of this knowledge, all of this understanding, there's more that we could go through. There's You could spend a lot of time studying these things and reading these things. All this knowledge, all this understanding is designed to reveal to us the role that angels play in God's creation, in our lives, and under God's will, that we might understand and know what God's plan and purpose is and what God is doing in us and around us. I had a strange experience many years ago. It was back in 2001, actually, so i narrowly survived Y2K and... um, I was actually it was the first time I traveled to the United States, so I was like nineteen at the time, and um, I—it was the first night here in the states, and this, this couple were, were hosting me, and I'd come over for a, I was a, a camp counselor at a youth camp, and uh, I was staying in this people's home, and I, I, I jet lagged, really tired, fell asleep, and I woke up. I thought I, I'm pretty sure I was awake. It could have been a dream. Um, Either way, it was some kind of spiritual encounter, it could have been a dream. Um, But in this, I was was suddenly gripped with fear, so gripped with fear that I, I couldn't move my body. I was completely pinned to the bed, completely in fear and just was aware that there was something going on and then and it was really dark and then my bedroom door opened, which is quite bizarre, and somebody came into my room and stood by my bed and stood over me and they were holding a sword. and. I was absolutely terrified. I was like, what the heck is going on? I'm in a completely different country, and I don't, you know, I don't know these people, I, I, you know, I, I'm at their mercy, like what's, what's happening here? And I, was, I could move my eyes, so I was trying to look and trying to see, but it was all very strange. And then they were saying something, I couldn't understand what they were saying, then they left and the door closed behind them. They didn't close the door, the door just closed, which I thought is a neat trick. Um, and then as soon as the door closed, I sat up in bed and said, is someone there? So I went out the room, opened the door, walked down the hallway, went into the living room, was looking around, and uh, totally freaked out. In the morning, I said to my host, I said, hey, uh, funny story, um, was there anyone out, anyone Is there anyone in the house last night, like any, any other visitors or guests or anyone, you know, like with a sword or something, like I don't know, and uh, they obviously were very freaked out by it. I don't know, I, I shared it with, with somebody I was with, and they were like, that sounds demonic, that just sounds like you were under spiritual attack, that was something demonic, and I was like, well... All the angelic encounters in the Bible, people were afraid. People were terrified. Um, I don't know, was it a dream? Was it just I was seeing something in a a dreamlike state and I happened to wake up at that time? I don't know exactly what it was, but I I know that nothing bad happened to me. There was no lies spoken over me and there was no bad result from it. I think in the end, I concluded, I think God's blessing is on this trip. I think God's blessing... He's, he's speaking a blessing over me, or there's some kind of protection that's happening over me. I'm, I'm guarded and helped somehow. Now, the danger with any personal testimony of anything like this is that you can interpret the situations wrongly. So whatever experience you have, you always come back to Scripture and say, what does the Bible teach us, and how does, you know, what do I need to reassess in what I experienced to say, am I drawing wrong conclusions about it to bring it in alignment with God's Word? Let's look at four things... But the Bible teaches us four lessons we can get about having having a greater awareness of angels in our lives. Four lessons from the Bible. First one is we learn about God's protection. We learn about God's protection. So in verse 14 that we read from Hebrews chapter 1, it tells us, it says about angels, are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation. Those who are to inherit salvation, believers, followers of Jesus, they are sent out as ministering spirits. Now, Hebrews is trying to make a clear distinction because people were too enamored with angels, and we don't want to be like them. We don't want to be too enamored. We don't want to get weird about angels, but we still have to understand what the Bible says about them. And so the 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 authors of Hebrews are trying to contrast Jesus to, to the angels. Now, Jesus came as a servant. He came to not to be served, but to serve. But it's also saying that these angels are ministering spirits, they're servants, they're here to do God's will, to actually specifically help those whom belong to God, those who are going to be saved. And so what it's saying though is that Jesus, even though he was a servant and the angels are servants, that Jesus was exalted to the right hand of God and worshipped, but that never happens to any angels. No angels are promoted in such a fashion where they're to be exalted or to be sought after or to be worshipped in such a way or honored in, in, in that kind of way. That never, never happens. They, they, they remain in that subservient ministering role where they exist to, to bless us, to, to help us, to be agents on God's behalf, to look out for us, to protect us in, in certain situations. You see throughout biblical history, you see actually it was the angels that delivered the Ten Commandments. They were involved in the, delivering the Ten Commandments to God's people. We see that it was angels that held the mouths of lions shut. We see that it was angels that announced the birth of Jesus. We see it was, it was angels that ministered to Jesus after his uh, time in the wilderness, his temptation in the wilderness, we see that it was angel- angels that broke the apostles out of prison. We see that it, was, it is angels that will come with Jesus when he returns to gather up his followers uh, into heaven forever. These angels, they have very important roles that they play in fulfilling the work of God. In Psalm 91, verse 11, Psalm 91, verse 11, it tells us of angels about. Their role, related to us, it says, For he, that's God, will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. Angels are guardians. Now, we're going to talk about guardian angels in just a minute. We'll get there in just a minute. But they are guardians. They're kind of like Christian secret service, if you will, with mad fighting skills. Don't forget. Powerful story from the missionary, John G. Patton. Don't forget, God's, God never promises, tr- promises us a trouble-free life. He never promises us that, but he is, he, there are promises in Scripture of angelic protection. The missionary, John G. Patton, and his family in the New Hebrides Islands, they found their home surrounded by hostile natives intent on burning them out and killing them. And then John and his wife prayed throughout the night to be delivered. And when morning came, they were amazed to see that the attackers had left for no reason that they could perceive. A year later, the chief of the tribe was converted to Christ. And Patton, remembering what had happened, asked the chief what had kept them and his men from burning down the house. And the chief replied in surprise. He said, well, who were all those men you had there with you? And the missionary answered, well, there were no men there, just my wife and I. And the chief argued that they had seen many men standing ground, hundreds of big men in shining garments with drawn swords in their hands. They seemed to circle the missionary station, so the natives were afraid to attack. Only then did John Patton realize that God had sent angels to protect them. That's the first lesson as we see God's protection. Second thing is that we see this is that angels see our behavior. Angels see our behavior. In First Timothy, chapter five, verse twenty-one. First Timothy five twenty-one. If I can get there, I'll just read it off the screen. We have First Timothy five twenty-one. I can't find it in my Bible. In the presence of God, Apostle Paul writes this: In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging doing nothing from partiality. Paul is telling his apprentice, Timothy, I'm giving you these instructions, I'm giving you these things in the presence of God, in the presence of Jesus. Of course, we're, we know that. But he's also saying, kind of in the presence of all of heaven as well. All of heaven is watching. So, yes, our first motivation of how we live should be to be pleasing to God and to obey God. But, but Paul gives us this additional reason that we should be aware that angels they are they're called watchers they're watching human behavior. They're sent to be ministers to serve us and to protect us and to guide us and to even intervene at different times. So we should not be surprised that angels would be disheartened if they see us failing, if they see us falling, if they see us disobeying God, if they see us falling into sin. We shouldn't be surprised that angels… because angels long to peer into the affairs of man, into the things that God does in our lives. And so and they're they're sent to serve us and to minister to us. So we shouldn't be surprised if they're disheartened, but also we shouldn't be surprised and we should be encouraged that they will see the good works we do and see that the the blessings that we help others with and the the truth that we speak and the obedience that we perform as as a Christian in our lives and that they will be encouraged by that. Now the greatest motivation to not sin and to avoid temptation should be that we want to trust God, we want to please God. But perhaps this added insight that all of heaven is watching, that what we do in the physical realm is visible in the spiritual realm. We can't really hide it. All things will be revealed ultimately anyway. That's kind of a bit of a shocking, sobering thing to think about. But be encouraged by this. Be really encouraged by this. In our darkest days, in our most discouraging days, the days where we're alone, the days where we feel like, maybe my life doesn't matter. What is the purpose of my life? No one sees what I'm doing. No one appreciates what I'm doing. No one knows what's going on. No one sees the choices, the hard things I'm facing. No one sees this. We can be encouraged. Of course, God sees those things. That's the greatest encouragement to receive. But also, we should be more aware that angels are inspired and encouraged by what we do and by our lives. When no one else sees it in the darkest places and the toughest times, that they also can see what is happening? The third thing we learn about a greater awareness of angels is that we join the angels in worship. We join the angels in worship. It says really about heaven that these living creatures, these angelic beings, this big, broad understanding of all these spiritual creatures that God has made, they're really worshiping God all the time. It doesn't really end. It's, it's happening all the time. Maybe some of them take breaks and they've got, they've got rotations and shifts they go in and out of. I don't know. that's speculative. I probably shouldn't say that. I'm just saying they're always worshiping. And so when we worship God, when we gather together as saints in any kind of service, like a church service or any kind of group that we're getting together with, with other believers, or we're by ourselves, we're, our doors are closed, we're in our room praying to God by ourselves, we're not creating new worship to God. We're joining with worship that is constantly happening before God's throne. This awareness should transform all of our worship. God's given us an imagination to use. He's given us great imagination. We should, when we enter times of worship, we should come with this understanding from here on forward that we're entering into something profound that's already happening all the time before God. The fourth thing that we learn is that angels are an example to us. Angels act as an, and work as an example to us. When Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray in Matthew chapter 6, verse 10, he says, he says pray like this one of the things he says one of the things that stands out a lot he says God let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven let your will be your will be done on earth as it is in heaven I was really struck by this in heaven God's will is done by angels they perfectly and joyfully fulfill the commands of God and do the work of God so when we're praying God let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven We're saying, just like the inhabitants of heaven perfectly fulfill your will and your commands, let the inhabitants of earth, including me, and all your followers, and all those that inhabit the earth, let us perfectly obey your will. It transforms the way we understand that prayer from Jesus. That we're praying for ourselves to obey better. And honestly, a lot of the trauma and the trouble and the pain and the sin and the corruption in the world, yes, creation is cursed and there's accidents and there's just that that decaying sense of creation that happens but also we see that the the proactive nature of human evil that makes it even worse than it should be of course we should pray this way God change our hearts help our leaders to choose what is right to do what is righteous help us to do what is righteous in our everyday lives that your will might be done on earth as it is in heaven that the perfect future kingdom you know, heaven is this kingdom this society of inter- intelligent moral beings where there's no suffering, no pain, no problem because they perfectly obey God's will. We can, have more, we can have that kind of heaven on earth the more we learn to obey God in our own lives. The more we cry out for God, will you help us all do your will on earth as it is in heaven? So we've looked at four things that should increase our, our awareness of angels, should increase our understanding of how we live out the Christian life. Let's quickly look at four Things we can get wrong about angels. Four things we can get wrong about angels. The first one is about guardian angels. It's not uncommon to believe that when you're born, you're assigned an angel, and that angel stays with you for the rest of your life and is kind of your best bud angel guy, dude, who's got mad fighting skills and can look out for you and protect you. Unfortunately, that's a bit of a leap in terms of what the Bible teaches on this. There's a couple of verses that people will use to can draw this conclusion. But really, the Bible doesn't properly, doesn't really teach that. It could be true. Maybe when we get to heaven, we'll find out, oh, actually, that was, that was right. That was right. But it's a guess. It's a guess. We can't be, I mean, it's a, I understand why people want to believe this. I mean, there's a part of me that wants to believe that I have, you know, Rufus the angel, who's my bud, who watches movies with me and, you know, we go to karate practice together and we do all kinds of cool stuff. There's a part of me that really wants to believe that's true, but I just we just don't know from Scripture if that's the case. But we do know is that God dispatches angels. So we do know that they're involved in our lives. They're sent as ministering spirits to protect, to serve, to help, to guide different things that God uses them for in different ways. But the idea of a particular assigned guardian angel, not so clear from Scripture. The second thing we can get wrong about angels is that we don't become angels in heaven. Now, this actually is more common a more common belief than you might imagine. that it's, it's based partly on what Jesus said when he says, you know, in heaven you'll be like the angels. But specifically, Jesus is talking about the fact that angels aren't given in marriage. So angels don't get married in heaven. So Jesus is saying you're going to be like that aspect of angels in heaven that you won't be married in heaven. Now, some people are really depressed to hear that they won't be married in heaven. Uh, some people, though, are actually excited they're not going to be married in heaven. So it depends uh, on who you are exactly. But don't, don't worry about it too much because we know that heaven is better by far. Everything in heaven is going to be way better by far. And so we're not l- going to be losing out on the fact that we're not going to be married. Our mar- marriages that we've had here on earth will still be, I'm sure, some form of special companionship or relationship in heaven. But it will be different. Our relationship with God will be more intimate. Our relationship with each other will be more more intimate, more, more meaningful in different ways. We, we can't imagine what it would be like, but it is going to be way better than what we have uh, right now. But we do not turn into angels in heaven. We're actually told that we're, we are made greater than the angels and that we actually rule and judge the angels in heaven. The third thing that we can get wrong about angels is that we're not supposed to pray to or ask, directly ask angels for help. Now we can ask God to send angels on our behalf. We can cry out to God. Send, send your angels to protect me. You're Psalm 91 promises that. Send your angels to protect me. We can cry out to God for that. But we're not supposed to in any way. There's no example of this in the Bible of anyone praying to or asking an angel for help. The fourth thing we can get wrong about angels is that angels probably don't sing. Now, this might be the most surprising one to you. I double-dog dare you. It's the second week in a row I've said double-dog dare. I dare you come back next week with a verse that shows me that angels sing. What you'll find is, you'll find it says that the angels were praising God. That's the closest you can get to it, but it says they were praising God, saying. They were saying these things. It says they were shouting or they're declaring. Not once, there is not one verse in the Bible that says they were singing. Now, can they sing? Maybe. I mean, like if you think about an army, are armies known for singing? Like they do sing, but are they known for good singing? I don't know. you know, Maybe, you know, White Christmas, yeah, okay, you've got a couple of good singers, you know, whatever. But probably, so the reason I bring this up, why do I bring this up? I don't want to smash your ideas of like angelic voices and, but what we, I bring it up because we can be so confident that the Bible teaches something. We can be so certain. Well, surely the angels sing or don't they sing when Jesus is born? No, it doesn't say that. Go and read the verses yourself. It doesn't say that. It says they declare, they shout, they praise. Could they sing? Maybe. But it doesn't, each time that it tells us that the angels are saying things, it tells us what they're saying, but it says they're declaring it, they're speaking it, they're saying it, they're shouting it. It's such an important point because we can be so certain that we think that we know what the Bible says about something. But what we have to do is we actually have to go and look at the words themselves. And this is a real problem for our generation, that we, we think we know what Jesus says. We think we know what Jesus says about human nature and human identity. We think we know what Jesus would be okay with that or Jesus would be okay with this. Did you go and look at the actual words? Did you go and look at the words themselves? What what did it actually say? My daughter's very excited about angels today. Any parents bringing their kids to, to, to church, don't worry, my daughter will be the loudest than all of yours. Let's give a hand for Finley over here. She's our special, special one. We love you, Finley. She's smiling at me. (laughs) Next week, we're going to be talking about fallen angels. We're going to be talking about demons. Don't miss it. But let me end today talking about the superior one, the supreme one. In verse 5 from our passage, it says this about Jesus. It says, For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you? Begotten is a kind of an antiquated word, but essentially... The idea of being begotten means to be fathered. Now, again, it's not saying today I've become your father, that, that God the Father wasn't a father before and Jesus became a son. It's not, it's not saying that those are eternal positions, paradoxically, mysteriously eternal positions, but He's saying i fathered you today. So, when, especially when Jesus was in, during His earthly ministry, the Father begot Him. He fathered Him. He cared for Him. He it says, the, you know, Jesus said, I and the Father are one. I only do my Father's will. I only do what my Father tells me to do. That The Father sent angels to minister to Jesus after his temptations. The, the Father led him and helped him and spoke to him and built him up and encouraged him and that he was fathered in that way. So today I have fathered you. It's such a unique relationship. No other created being has this kind of intimacy other than, well, obviously, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Trinitarian understanding, this community of persons, this divine being that's always existed, that made all things. What a special! This is what sets Jesus apart. This is what makes him superior. Why we worship him above all that's Why why we can be interested in angels and we can be excited about these things and 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 find mystery in it. But ultimately, ultimately, we come back to it and say, well, those things are interesting, but they just show us again how much greater Jesus is and how much more wonderful Jesus is. Let's have the band come up. We want to respond to how. Wonderful and amazing Jesus is. Consider this, no other there's no other relationship like this. He says, you know, the angels, they, they had their names, but there's there's one that's called the Son. There is no other relationship like that except for something interesting has happened. When we become followers of Jesus, we're made one with Christ. So we're crucified with Jesus on the cross. It says in Hebrews 1, it says he took made purification for our sins. That happened so the greatest barrier between us and God, our sin, could be dealt with. And we were nailed with Jesus. we unified with him in his death, buried in the tomb with him as well, and then raised to new life with him and then exalted. And as Jesus was put at the right hand of God, then we are at the right hand of God in that place of security forever. Obviously, we're not Jesus. We we, we don't, in the same sense that we don't become angels, we're not the Son of God. And so there's only a unique place for Jesus and a unique relationship between Father and Son. But because we're in Him, when God says to Jesus, Today I have begotten you, there is a sense in which God is saying over us, Today I have fathered you. Today I am your Father. I am your Creator. I am your maker. I cherish you. I love you. I adore you. That's being in Jesus gives us all of the benefits, all the blessings, all the things that have become that are true of Jesus and all the things that God says about Jesus, including his righteousness and his holiness. All of that is given to us, imparted to us. What a mystery. I don't know how it works, but that's what we're told is true. What a joyful thing. Enjoy that. Celebrate that. Thank God for that. Be in awe and in wonder of the spiritual realm and angelic beings, but all of that points us to this great work, this great act that we have been made one with Christ through His death and resurrection, and that only through His death and resurrection can our sins be taken away from us. If you don't know Jesus, you must repent. Your sin, not just the acts you have done and the Things you've done wrong against others, or but it's it's our fundamental disposition that we don't really want to follow God, we don't trust God. We reject God. We've got to turn from that, we've got to put that aside and repent of that and come to Him. Come to Him today. If you want to respond, there's many things you can respond for. If you want to join a small group, if you want to get more involved at Trinity, if you want to give today, if you wanna get prayer, you wanna follow Jesus, you wanna be baptized. Planning baptisms soon, actually. We have several people in the church that want to get baptized. We're going to be planning some baptisms coming up here soon. Respond. You can do that by texting the word enjoy to 94,000. That's one way to respond today.